Tuesday, March 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Fool.com, Senior Technology Analyst, Eric Bleeker. Good to see you guys. Hey, hey. Uh, we're going to talk the latest hits with JCPenney. We're going to talk Qualcomm. We're going to talk about the business of Girl Scout cookies. And there is a business there. It is a massive business. I've seen it up close and personal. Uh, But we're going to start with Google. China's technology minister says that Google has too much control of China's smartphone market. Uh, Hold your laughter. In a white paper authored by the research arm of China's Ministry of Industry and Information Technology, he said China's mobile operating system research and development is too dependent on Android. Although, Eric, uh, they did take time in the white paper to praise homegrown companies like Baidu and Alibaba Group. Um, How unexpected. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What do you make of all of this? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like too much control by having no control. Because the interesting thing is, in China, Google's been pretty much eradicated from Android. It's it's an open source uh, operating system. And for a lot of companies, there's uh, handset vendors, there's no Google Play. There's no Google Maps. There's no really trace of Google on. Instead, you've got companies like Baidu taking its spot, especially as the default search. So the ironic thing is, here's Google being called out for having too much control. But they don't have any control over the platform. Really what they've just done is enabled the 50 to $100 to $200 smartphone, which is allowing China's smartphones over a couple of years to go from $50 million to $500 million. I mean, if anything, Google's been a complete boon to the country, bringing smartphones to the masses and making no money off it. It's a weird thing to call them out for. So, I mean, so what's behind this? Is this just a, a sort of political shot across the bow, like, hey, don't, you know— don't think about coming back in here. I mean, Google's yeah. been sort of hot and cold on China over the last five to ten years, and uh, and there was a time when Google was making a serious push with search in China, and they've they've really seemed to back away. Yeah, in 2010, they had pulled out of the country over censorship issues. They moved their operations to Hong Kong. It's bad blood, definitely, in the country. And last year, um, there was some talk that they had kind of muscled out some homegrown operating systems. Uh, from some other Android vendors like Acer. So maybe this is kind of a shot across the bow for doing that. I, I think there's definitely no love lost between China and Google. And that's that's unfortunate for them because it's a huge opportunity and they have the dominant operating system and they have no real way to make money off it. Uh, closer to home, Jason, uh, Google is reportedly working on a same-day delivery service called Google Shopping Express. Uh, and it sounds, at least on the surface, very much like Amazon Prime. There would be an annual fee somewhere in the neighborhood of $64, $69. And you would get same-day delivery from retailers like Target, Walmart, Walgreens, Safeway. What do you think of this idea? Is it a good move for Google? And how scared should Amazon be about this? I don't think it sounds nearly as good as Amazon Prime. I mean, like Google Shopping Express. It's kind of you fuddle those words up, and Amazon Prime's a lot cleaner. But uh, I well, do brand, think branding aside, <laughs> I do think that you know. I, bottom line here is good luck with all that. I mean, I, if you're going to get into that game with Jeff Bezos, I mean that he is ultimately proven that he is going to outspend anybody, and he's going to outspend you until a he dies or b he wins. Right. So I don't know that Google really. I mean, if this is something that they're looking to add as as possibly, uh, you know, as they grow their tablet presence out there with the Nexus tablets, maybe they're trying to add some sort of of service to that to, to develop uh, more of that ecosystem. I mean, they're getting into streaming music as well. 
apparently. But but this does seem to be a little bit outside of their scope of, of really of understanding. And it's two different business models. I mean, Amazon is is working. They've been building this infrastructure for a lot for for some time now, and, and really getting it. They've perfected it almost. I mean, the two day shipping is just it's a marvel. It's very cheap. They're going to have to bring Google's going to have to bring something else to the table here, other than other than the argument that oh maybe it's ten dollars cheaper per year. Because I, I think on on the surface that's really that that's not there's not much reason for someone to switch over, especially if they're if they're already in that Amazon Prime environment to begin with. I mean, you have your order history, you subscribe to things like whether it's toilet paper, paper towels. So it's a very it's a very user friendly environment that Amazon has developed that you, you just become more entrenched in it the more time that goes by. So I think that Google's really got a lot of work cut out for them if they want in on this space. How big a bet do you think this is, Eric? Mm, not a big bet. Oh, let's look at Google's last report, bet in the shopping space. It was trying to buy Groupon. Right? <laughs> mm, I think this is going to go about as well as how well that would have went. I, I don't think this will be a large bet. I think Google's always poking around at new areas, and commerce is a big part of search, so they're going to poke around and see what opportunities they have, but I don't think much will come of it. And let's remember, too, that offer for Groupon was $6 billion, which today is virtually laughable. So it does have to make you wonder how forward-looking were they in that particular endeavor and who actually came up with that figure, because, man, I wouldn't give you $6 for it today. I'm pretty sure Groupon would take the $6 billion right now. <laughs> I'm sure they would. Um, just to wrap up on the stock, shares are at an all-time high, Eric. What do you think of the valuation of a stock like Google when you look at it? Uh, Google's one of those companies. I've bought it for a while. Um, I really like Google. It's a company that I want to buy and hold. It does look a little pricey right now, but it owns a platform. And where Apple, you can say, hey, there's a finite upper limit to high-end smartphone growth. There's there's a hard way to draw a line on where advertising ends. Right. So their market is seemingly infinite in many ways, and that's why they're getting these high multiples. Shares of JCPenney down more than 9% this morning on the news that Vernado Realty Trust sold almost half its stake in JCPenney. And the reason that's relevant, Jason, Vernado Realty Trust is the second largest shareholder of JCPenney stock, and they sold 10 million shares. Yeah, I think maybe Ackman's starting to feel a little bit lonely there, and it'd be understandable. I mean, JCPenney has really been a mess ever since... Well, I mean, I, I can't remember actually when it was in a mess, to be honest with you. I mean, it's just not really a company that has all that much of an identity anymore. And I think that's one of the biggest problems there is that we just don't really understand exactly what the strategy is there. Ron Johnson, I mean, for, for all he did with Apple, I mean, again, I mean, I go back to the fact he wasn't at a turnaround situation with Apple. I mean, he was hired into JCPenney to turn that ship around, which is a completely different project than he was doing before. Uh, but, I mean, at this point in the game, JCPenney has just no identity. I don't know why I would go there. I don't know what cons- what consumer they're targeting. And, uh, you know, with all of the other options out there at this point in the game, you know, I mean, why would I why would I necessarily go there? And so maybe uh, maybe uh, Steve Roth saw that and decided, hey, I'm going to I'm going to cut bait while I still can. And and I bet you the thought is crossing Atkins mind now. I mean, it's not like he hasn't lost a big bet before. I mean, we were talking about uh, his his uh, group or not group on, but the. Uh, Borders Books investment, and then yeah. Eric was bringing up the Target example here not too terribly long ago. So, got to wonder what's going through his mind. A two point. billion dollar hedge fund based only on Target. <laughs> Shockingly, <laughs> that one failed. Uh, it did fail. Um, I mean, yeah, just uh, to Jason's point. I mean, you've got Stephen Roth, who's the chairman of Vernado Realty Trust. He sits on the board of directors at J.C. Penney. So, the, I mean, I, I think what people are rightly reacting to is, hey, this isn't just some big shareholder selling their stake. This is a director of the company basically cutting his line and saying, I'm done fishing with this one. 
I mean, is this sort of – we talk all the time about being careful with respect to following individuals. So, you know, just because Warren Buffett is loading up on shares of a stock doesn't mean you should rush out and uh, and buy it. Uh, same thing with the big investors. Bill Ackman, now the largest – you know, or still the largest uh, shareholder of JCPenney. Um, you know, he's had his hits. He's had his misses, but he's had his hits. But I don't know, Eric, when I look at this – and I don't own shares of JCPenney – but when I see a member of the board of directors making this big a move, this seems like one of those times when you almost would want to follow a leader. Yeah, and you know, there's a, hedge funds as much as they get praised for being the smartest guys in the room, they've underperformed inflation over right. the past decade. And this is another move of a very smart guy making a wrong move. And with Johnson, I think he's discovering it's a lot more difficult to sell uh, cheap sweaters than high-end computers with Apple. <laughs> and uh, the turnarounds just. Thirty-one percent year-over-year comps. It's it's hard to get over that. Um, stepping back from J.C. Penney, I'm just curious about uh, because a question we get all the time at the Motley Fool is when should I sell my stock? And I'm just curious for you two guys as individuals, what is it that sort of triggers your decision to say, you know what? Because we've all had stocks that go down in value, and Warren Buffett, even in his annual letter and on CNBC yesterday, was talking about the times in history when Berkshire Hathaway stock has been, you know down 40%, that kind of thing. He's never bailed on it. What, what is it for you, Jason, and then I'll go to you, Eric, that makes you look at a stock that has gone down and said, you know what, now I really am going to cut it and take my losses? Well, whether it's going up or going down, I think there are three things that I really look at if I'm considering selling. Number one is if it's going up and I feel like the valuation is now beyond what it should be really worth or what it's fairly worth, I'll consider certainly selling or at least whittling down a position. Uh, but But when the stock is falling, I think you have to re you have to reexamine the thesis to begin with. Why did I invest in this business? And if if the thesis has changed, if that has changed materially, then you you have to look at well, should I sell or is there a new thesis in play here that's as compelling as the former one? Because typically there's not, and so that's a good reason to sell as well. And I think really that all boils down to just the fact that humility is an incredible quality to have. And, and to develop as an investor because it's never fun admitting that you're wrong. But by the same token, when you can step back and look at your investments from that perspective, admit when you're wrong, and then do sort of a post-mortem and learn what you got wrong, it makes you a better investor. And so I, I think that's really, for all of the jokes and, and things that we crack here on Market Fuller, I mean, that, that's, you know, that's one thing. But as investors, I think most of us are, are really uh, good at working on that, that humility quality. I think it's an important one to have. Eric, what about you? Yeah, I think that's a great answer. And I think you want to go back, look at the thesis, and not say, has it changed? But did I just miss some key variable in this in the first place? Why a lot of people went for JCPenney was the leadership from Johnson. And yeah. maybe it wasn't his greatness that propelled Apple stores, but a confluence of factors. And maybe it was just a misapplied thesis in this case. Qualcomm announced it is raising its quarterly dividend 40%, as well as uh, announcing a new $5 billion stock buyback plan. Shares are up around 2% this morning, and it's closing in on its highest point in more than 12 years. Eric, this uh, this seems like a little bit of a runaway train, <laughs> uh, in a good way. It's good to be king, and Qualcomm's <laughs> the king of the mobile world, and that's what they're really flexing today. It's They, they own the essential patents on all wireless technologies, all uh, data-capable wireless technologies, and we've seen China, like I had said earlier in the show, maybe going from 50 to 500 million smartphones in a couple years times and queued up next for launch is India 
So they've just got all these uh, placements behind them. And not only that, but they've got the storyline of essentially becoming the Intel of mobile with their Snapdragon processors controlling more than half the revenues in the mobile market. It's, it's quite an extraordinary story. Who is their primary competitor? I mean, is it Intel? Because it seems like a lot of times I look at individual companies and if they're the leader in an industry, I just automatically go to the Coke and Pepsi analogy. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, who's the Pepsi? Who's the Coke? That kind of thing. It's Not only does it seem like there is no Pepsi to Qualcomm's Coke, it doesn't seem like there's a RC. There's an RC Cola to their Coke. <laughs> yeah, I think the problem is NVIDIA, a lot of people thought, would be the Pepsi, but they turned out to be the Jones Soda in the <laughs> smartphone market. And they're trying to come back, but uh, Intel's lurking in the background, and I think they'll be able to make some noise, but... Qualcomm has such a huge head start. It's got the dominant ARM architecture behind it, and it has so much connectivity. With It's not just the processor, which uh, Intel specializes in. It's the modem to connect to the networks, the Wi-Fi chip, Bluetooth, all these things. And Qualcomm has so many years integrating and making them more power efficient. Do you think the people at Jones Soda are sad right now? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where Jolt Caldwell falls <laughs> Jolt. in this. I mean, you know, Jolt is one of those ones that sort of, uh, it, it was here. And Do they still make Jolt, Jolt Cola? Is that still made? I have not seen well, that You know what, we'll go to, uh, I'll go to sodafinder.com. It's about 30 and, uh, years, yeah, 35 years that. last I saw it. Uh, it is that time of year, and I'm referring to Girl Scout cookie time. Uh, in Southern California, in a town called Phelan, the girls from Troop 1303 were selling cookies in front of a grocery store when Colin Sawyer, a 20-year-old man, swooped by on his skateboard and stole more than $550 in cookie money. One of the Girl Scouts ran after him, fell down, suffered some minor cuts and abrasions, uh, but she's going to be okay. He was arrested. Charges are pending. First of all, how pathetic is your life of crime when you're looking at the Girl Scouts and thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to knock over the cookie stand. I'm going to I'm gonna make a score there. That's pretty bad. I'm glad we've got this loser's name, at least. I take this <laughs> I take this pretty seriously as, as a man who sat out with my daughters on Saturday in the freezing cold at their cookie booth yeah. and, and helped spur on the cookie sales. I'd be really pissed if someone came by and stole it. was 500 bucks in that cash drawer. Yeah. I mean, and to, and to top it all off, the little girl that chases after him, she trips and falls and scrapes her knees. I mean, this guy's got to be feeling pretty bad about himself right now. I think this is kind of a bullish sign for the economy. <laughs> really? How I'm so? just going to say, if people, instead of knocking over drug dealers, are going towards cookie heists, I think things are going pretty well in this country. I, I don't know, man. It reeks of desperation. It could, it could be worse. Uh, one of my daughters is a Girl Scout, and uh, my wife is the cookie mom for the troops, so yep. she's intimately involved in all aspects of the cookie sale, and i got to say, it's, it's an entire operation. I went with her to pick up the cookies. They have got it down like clockwork. And and again, if you want to knock over the Girl Scouts, don't just go over to the local troops stand and, and steal their money. I want to see like a Smokey and the Bandit situation. Steal an entire eighteen wheeler full of thin mints because that's. I did the math. You're you're looking at roughly one point four million cookies. So you can really make that, some money off of that. That is some. Cabbage. But what what do we think the sentence for this guy should be? My wife suggested that because she reminded me that. Community service is part of being a Girl Scout, and that this guy, that part of his punishment should be, not only does he have to do community service, he's got to wear the Girl Scout sash while he's doing it. I mean, I think those are fair. (laughs) Uh, I I would want to do something that really, really got into his head and affected him for the rest of his life, really. And I think if you stuck him in a room 
and had just a continuous loop of Girl Scout songs playing over and over and oh over my. again. And he had to endure Make that for some week or something. Oh. Yeah, here we go. Oh. Imagine. <laughs> just for hours on end? I mean, not hours. We're talking days. Just oh. a continuous loop. This would be brutal. This is brutal for me, and it just started a few seconds ago. Can we get some It's a Small World after this? <laughs> I think I think we will. That'll be the outro music. Do you have any sort of creative punishment? That's pretty brutal, what Jason I, and Mac, our producer, just came up with. I can't top this. I got to say, if she's going to earn this or wear the sash, maybe you have to earn it, go through all the things to get the actual badges. Get the stuff. badges. I like yeah. it. I like it. Jason Moser, Eric Flicker. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks. Based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fuller. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Make new oh. friends, but keep the one old. after another. One is silver and the other's gold. Have you not heard your daughter sing this at home? No. I've got two of them in the same truth, no and this is one that closes out I think our listeners are, are going to be <laughs> clamoring for us to bring back Celine Dion. <laughs>